Okay. Well, off and running here, week 11, and we ended the first five judges in, in, in basically terrible sin and chaos. We'd been through several of the judges. We had spoken about the kind of cycle of the judges and how that repeats itself and been through some very fascinating and flawed characters. But uh, today we're going to move, um, if possible, even faster. And we're gonna, but we're going to make it all the way to... Um, our first prophet of this era um, and our first king. So picking up in Judges 10, we're going to to go through a couple of uh, judges that we know less about. Um, First judge is Tola. The second is Jair. Um, We don't know a lot about them. We know that um, Jair had 30 sons, which is a lot, obviously. Um, But we remember um, Gideon, excuse me, also had a lot of sons. And then after Abimelech, he didn't have that many sons anymore. So um, anyway, so we're on to uh, Jair. And after his death, the death of this judge, the people again of Israel, remember that cycle, they turn aside to evil, they forsake God. They serve Baal and the Ashtoreth and the pagan gods of just about everybody around them. I left a list in there. There's only two I'd call your attention to. Um, that's the Ammonites and the Philistines. They were serving the gods of these foreign people because, remember, these people had not been completely driven out. Um, and God said, they're go- God literally told them, if you remember, that the, these pagan gods will be a snare to you. Well, certainly that is what's ended up happening. Um, but it's kind of funny, in judgment, God gives Israel over into the hands of the Ammonites and the Philistines, and Israel is, is, is oppressed and distressed yet again. Well, that's kind of funny. I, you read it, you're like, I thought they were worshiping the same gods, that they'd gone after these gods and apparently did not create any solidarity with the Philistines. So why didn't Israel achieve friendship with these foreign people by serving their gods? Think about that, right? You, and some, sometimes we're very friendly toward people who assimilate parts of our culture or beliefs. I think it's worth thinking about. Why? I mean, they begin by serving their gods, and then the very people who worship these same gods come in and are oppressing Israel. Why? Question. Um, well, God's hand was in it, and his ultimate goal was to have the Israelites drive everybody out, and they didn't. So, I mean, he was still between that relationship. Yes. So. I, think that's, I think that's important. Um, cut right to the very, the very last and best of the, uh, of the thoughts I could come up with was that, you know, this wasn't God's plan. But it is interesting that by adopting the ways of the world around them, they didn't benefit in any way. The world then came in and, you know, the world around them came in and was oppressing them and crushing them. And and um, Israel, again, was there any other, any other thoughts? Sorry, before I move on. Anyone else have one to that? I think that's a, a good answer. Um, Israel cries out again, just like that cycle we kept talking about. But God has a little bit different answer this time. And I'm going to read to you some from Judges 10, starting in verse 10. And I'm going to read five or six verses. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you 
from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, from the Ammonites, and from the Philistines. The Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in this time of distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned, do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. That's a new answer, right? It'd be like, oh, in case you guys didn't notice, this keeps happening, and you keep falling into this sin. If you don't go, you guys have chosen different gods. Go pray to them. See if they can deliver you. Obviously, they can't. But God is ever merciful, and when the people put aside the gods, their, their pagan gods, then and only then God becomes impatient over Israel's misery. And the people of Israel come together and they're going to face the Ammonites um, for battle, but they don't have a leader. Which brings us to our next character in the story, our next judge, Jephthah, which uh, along with being hard to say, was a mighty warrior. Um, He was the illegitimate son of Gilead by a prostitute. Um, He'd been driven away from his house and his inheritance um, by um, his two half-brothers who were the legitimate sons of their father, and that doesn't seem like that odd a thing to do, just like, we're the real sons, you're not, get out of here, and he was sent away. But he was a mighty warrior, and this was a situation at a time that called for a mighty warrior. So um, the elders of the land reached out to him, and they said, you can be leader over us um, if you'll come and lead the army. Um, and Jephthah agrees and sends, um, and so he will come back, he will return, and he will lead these people against the Ammonites. And uh, he sends a message after he comes back and he takes, takes over basically the army, um, such as it is. Uh, he sends a message to the king of the Ammonites. And it's fascinating, it's so fascinating, I just have to read part of this to you. Because, um, so he's coming in, he's taking over the army, he knows who he's going to be facing, and he sends a message to him. And um, Judges 11, and I'll read 22 and 23, um, he's talking, in his message he sends to them, <clears throat> in his message to the king of the Ammonites, he's talking about Israel's history. And here in verse 22, part of his message reads, and they took possession, they being Israel, of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, from the wilderness to the Jordan. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Ammonites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? Well, that's a provocation for sure. Because he basically said, he said, far from like trying to stall or buy time or, or put off, he's not trying to forestall this battle because the message he sends in part to this king is basically, we're going to enjoy what our God has given us, has given to us, Israel, and you can enjoy what your God has given to you. 
Not surprisingly, um, he does not heed the message. The king does not, and, and, and battle is, is imminent. Um, but as I was thinking about this interesting way he sort of <laughs> greets his new opponent, um, it got me thinking, um, what blessings has God given to New Testament Christians that we hold fast to? And what blessings has the world to offer to those who will worship it? Similar, right? We're gonna enjoy the blessing that our God gave to us, and you, you can enjoy the blessing of your God. So I just think it's something worth thinking about, you know, the, the blessings that we hold fast to as Christians. Um, I, I just think we can see a, a parallel there because God has given us so many rich blessings, right? And the world offers its own sort of rewards, right? Be friends with the world, worship the world, you know, taste what the world has to offer. Um, but I just think it, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's, it's amazing to hear him speak with such boldness. He was just like, you know, you can have what your God gives you to possess and, and we'll have what God has given us. Um, Jephthah makes a vow of a sacrifice in return for victory. Um, he does lead the Israelites to defeat the Ammonites. Um, his vow leads him to sacrifice one of his own children, which is a, an interesting, tragic story that we don't really have time to get into, um, but it's just sufficient to say it's there if you want to dig into it. Jephthah is also mentioned in Hebrews 11, so he comes up in the New Testament as well um, for more, a more complete understanding of his character. Um, but he judges Israel six years, then he dies. Ibsen, the next judge, has 30 sons and 30 daughters. Judges seven years, then he's done. Elon, next, judges Israel for 10 years. And Abdon fathered 40 sons and 30 grandsons. It's very interesting that, that um, the progeny of some of these, uh, the number of the progeny of some of these judges was recorded. Um, some, in some cases, some of these we know very little else. And that brings us to maybe the most colorful of the judges, that's Samson. And once again, cycle repeats, Israel does what's evil in the sight of the Lord. In response, the Lord gives them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This gets us to uh, Judges 13. <clears throat> An angel of the Lord appears to the wife of Manoah, who's barren, and uh, tells her she'll bear a son. But he gives her special directions concerning the pregnancy. The child is to be a Nazarite. She's not to consume wine, strong drink, or unclean food. And after he's born, he's not to have his head shaved. So do you guys know, is it a question, do you guys know what a Nazarite is? Uh, number six, what, what's a Nazarite? Someone tell me. Shout out. Yes, it involves taking a vow before the Lord. Um, <laughs> anybody else? It's an, it's an Israelite who takes a vow who's consecrated to the service of God. Um, and, and, and if you want a, a more thorough explanation, uh, number six goes through that. But it involves, uh, for a period of time, taking this vow and, and setting, setting yourself aside to the service of God. There's rules about, even more strict rules about what you cannot consume. You don't, you don't cut your hair. And at the end of that time, you have to go to a priest 
there's an offering involved and some other things to sort of end that, okay? But the angel of the Lord tells Manoah's wife um, that this baby um, will be a Nazarite and tells her that he will save Israel from the Philistines. And again, the Philistines had been oppressing, end up oppressing the Israelites at this time for 40 years. So that's quite something to hear about your um, baby. And again, we go back to a theme we'd heard that we'd had earlier in our story about a, a woman who can't have a child, who's, vis- who's visited by um, the angel of the Lord and informed that she will now have uh, a baby. But Manoah's wife doesn't exactly know who she's talking to. She asks what she calls a, um, a man of God. She asked, would he return and teach her what to do after the child is born? She tells her husband. And the angel of the Lord does appear again and sort of repeats the instructions. Um, and interestingly, they, Manoah and his wife, they, they know they're dealing with someone special and they, they offer to prepare a young goat and like have a meal together. And we're in Judges 13 here. Judges 13, 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and he offered it to the offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. So it's one of those stories, again, they, they, Sometimes we get this sort of, uh, someone appears and you realize it's not something of this world, but you don't fully grasp who it is. And then when you see a more full revelation of this angelic being, most people end up falling flat on their faces and they're afraid they're going to die. That is, the, that is the majesty, that is the power of, of the angel of the Lord. Um, an interesting tale foretelling a very interesting birth. The woman bears a son, and she names him Samson. As an adult, yes, question? Is, uh, is it not quite likely that this was Jesus talking to them? Yes, yes. I, I'm, I, we, we'd spoken before, and many times, um, whether it was um, Joshua, as many times we've seen the angel of the Lord appear, and... Um, I think it's many times we had a we we spoke about that briefly, and I gave you some verses that kind of supported the idea that the angel of the Lord could very well be a pre-incarnate Christ. A couple of the things that really stick out to me that kind of uh, point to that mm-hmm. fact is they don't say an angel of the Lord; they say the angel of mm-hmm. the Lord. Yeah. It's possible that that's that's just mm-hmm. a translation thing, or right. it could be just uh, wording. Mm-hmm. But it certainly seems to me yes. like it's it's identifying mm-hmm. someone that's unique. And then also, instead of saying we saw an angel or we saw a heavenly being or something, they mm-hmm. say they fall on their faces and they said, uh, "We have seen. We God. have seen God." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I, I, I'm I'm fairly comfortable saying that. And again, going back to some of the 
um, the earlier appearances of the angel of the Lord that, you know, have these divine properties. And it does seem to point to that very much. I, I agree with that. And it's, it's, it's interesting to think about Jesus being active in the Old Testament, you know, and being part of the story. It's fascinating to me anyway. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so after this appearance by the angel of the Lord, Samson is born, he grows up. And remember, the, these things have been foretold and promised to his mother that he would, that he would do. Um, Samson sees a Philistine woman and tells his father he wants her for his wife. Now remember the Philistines have been actively oppressing the Israelites for years. Okay, Israel's suffering because of the Philistines. And remember that Israel had gone after the gods of the Philistines. So there's all this interplay there. Um, and, he, and, and his father sort of counsels him, well, like, how about a wife from among your own people? And he's like, no, nope, no. Nope. And he says, quote, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Um, that's interesting and, and seems foolish to us. But importantly, Judges 14.4, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So, Samson, as everybody already knows, has a weakness. What's his weakness? Women, in particular foreign women. And it is a weakness, but it's also the means by which God is going to set him against the Philistines, okay? And thus use him to um, deliver Israel and harshly punish the Philistines. So, and then we go through um, the story of... Um, Samson, he, he's with his parents, and then he goes ahead, and, and a, a young lion appears roaring, and uh, Samson kills it with his bare hands, tears it apart. That's quite an image, if you pause on it there for a second, but we've all heard that story before, but I mean, don't underestimate. And, and it always says that the Spirit of God comes upon Samson. It's important to know that this is done that this is a supernatural strength that is given by God. It doesn't say anywhere that Samson was huge in frame or had giant muscles or looked the part. It doesn't say that. It is a supernatural strength. He may have been, but he may not have been. He could have been short and paunchy. We don't know. You know, he could have looked, he, he may not have looked like the strength that he had because it was a supernatural strength. So just for what that's worth. Um, and the, the, dead, the dead lion, the carcass of the lion, um, later becomes the basis of a riddle that Samson poses to some of his Phil, um, some Philistines. And when they can't solve the riddle, the Philistines use Samson's wife, of course a Philistine herself, to get the answer. Um, enraged, Angry, Samson strikes down 30 Philistines. So we see the beginning of the violence between Samson and the Philistines here. Um, and Samson leaves for a bit. And after a time, he returns. And we're now we're in Judges 15. After some days at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go in to my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her sister more young, more beautiful? Is not her younger sister, excuse me, more beautiful than she is? Please take her instead. 
Verse 20 of the previous chapter tells us that Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. So that's, that's a pretty uh, intimate sort of betrayal. And Samson, once again, is furious. Um, and this is the story where he uses uh, foxes and torches to burn the grain, both the standing grain and the stacked grain, the olive orchard of the Philistines. So now we're doing like serious property damage. This is going to hurt the Philistines deeply. And the Philistines come in, they, they sort of investigate this. They're just like, what happened? You know, um, well, when they find out what happened, um, Samson's father-in-law and wife, they burn them. So you can tell the Philistines don't think very much of these proceedings and the effect that it's had. Um, and Samson's um, men of Judah, excuse me, the men, the men of Israel come to Samson. They're just like, do you not know the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is it that you have done to us? And basically like, okay, these people rule us and you're burning their stuff and you're killing their men. Why are you provoking them this way? And, and Samson agrees to be bound by his countrymen and led to the, uh, led to the Philistines because the Philistines want to take him into custody and punish him for all he's done. I mean, it's clear they're taking this very seriously and don't think much of it. Um, 3,000 Israelites take him to be delivered into the hands of the Philistines. And the Philistines come shouting to meet them. And famously, Samson snaps the ropes, holding him, and using the jawbone of a donkey, he kills 1,000 Philistines. And could, we, could you uh, advance the, the slide one here, Mike? I don't have the, uh, if you can, it's fine. That's what the jawbone of a donkey looks like. And one more, please. Thank you very much, Mike. That's what a thousand men looks like. I thought I'd get, Greg, this is actually for you. I know you like numbers and, you know, graphic representations. So to, to put it mildly, that pile of bodies would have been bigger than a house, okay? Now, it didn't say it happened all in one place, but for sure, Samson, with a donkey's jawbone, killed that many men. And we now see God's God's judgment against the Philistines, because remember, after all, that's why Samson was raised up and was promised to his mother that, that he would um, act against them. But it's interesting how it started from a dispute over a, a, a woman that he took from among the Philistines, right? Well, things have deteriorated pretty far now. And after this literally superhuman effort, I was very thirsty, and Samson called upon the Lord, said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God splits open a hollow place and provides water for him. Samson drinks and he's revived. Um, But certainly the Philistines are now seriously after him. Um, Next, Samson went to um, Gaza and and the, the Philistines attempt to trap Samson while he's with a prostitute. Again, the judges of Israel were not known in many cases for their up, upright morality or for strict keeping of all of God's laws. Samson's with a prostitute. They're like, this is the first perfect time to, to trap him. Perfect time. We'll get him. Um, but Samson gets up in the middle of the night, and, and they're waiting for him to ambush him at the city gate. Well, Samson goes to the city gate he tears off the doors, including the posts and the bars, and carries them away on his shoulders, and they let him go. 
Because remember, in this world, big cities are protected by big walls and big doors. It's a point of entrance, but it's also a point of weakness if you come under siege. So we're not talking about like a small door. We're talking about, you know, massive doors. Um, And Samson tears the whole thing away, including the post, and just carries it off. And they're just like, nope, (laughs) never mind. Um, So moving on, ultimately, and I won't go through this story just because everybody knows this story. Ultimately, Samson is seduced and betrayed by Delilah. Everybody knows this, right? Many times she asks him, what do I have to do at the behest of the Philistines, she asked him, what do I have to do so that you're not so strong anymore and not killing so many people? How do, we, how do we overtake you? And oddly, he doesn't seem to know or care that every time he lies to her, the theory, it gets tested. It doesn't seem to, it, he lies to her at first and then right away after that, the Philistines always seem to show up, but because he's still strong, he's able to defend himself. Well, finally, of course, she, he tells him the ultimate secret and uh, the breaking of the Nazarite vow. His, head, his hair is cut off. And um, then when the Philistines come, they are able to overtake him, you know, and Delilah is, is paid off and, and they take him because remember how much damage he's done by this time. Um, they, he's shackled. They gouge out his eyes unimaginable pain and I'm sure the last few things that Samson got to see was himself being captured robbed of his strength taken away in shackles so very unpleasant last sight in this world and um, eyes gouged out and he's made to grind mill in prison can we can we forward uh, one more slide here um and ultimately, famously, the story ends. He's taken to the temple of the Philistines as sort of an object of entertainment. I mean, you know, this blind, shackled, once great enemy who's now humiliating and just humiliated and just made as, as sport before all the people. And, and um, Samson asks to be placed against the pillars holding up the temple. And, and, he, and he prays. It, it's interesting here um, Samson doesn't ask for his eyes back. He doesn't ask to be freed. Samson seems to know that this is the end of the road for him. But what does he ask? He's like, God, just one more time. You know, one more time, God, please. And, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and, and, and he pushes down the pillars of the temple, and the temple falls down and kills 3,000 men and women, more people than Samson killed even during his life. This is uh, an archaeological, excuse me, this is a site, <clears throat> I can give you the name if you want, it's hard to pronounce. Um, this is a, um, they believe, is a Philistine temple that's been rebuilt two or three times. Um, nothing too crazy here to notice other than the fact that apparently centralized pillars were often part of that design. That's just something fun I found, I thought you think that was cool. Um, but yeah, imagine Samson and his I don't know, there's very few characters in the Bible who made a bigger end than Samson did. So moving on from Samson, um, the last five chapters of the Judges are are really um, a time of terrible sin and infighting amongst the Israelites. Um, And and it's it's chaotic and it's, it's, 
terrible, but really I think that the last five chapters can be well described by the last verse in the whole book of Judges. Judges 21-25, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Which is funny, that's what Samson said about that Philistine woman, she's right in my eyes. So I, I, it's interesting, um, interesting connection there with Samson. Um, and quickly here, we'll kind of fit in. During the time of the judges is when we um, have the story of Ruth, Ruth and Boaz. I won't go through it all because, again, it's a fairly well-known story. Um, but she's a young Moabite woman who um, follows her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem and is ultimately ends up marrying uh, Boaz. And... They have a baby who ends up being part of the lineage of the future king of Israel, King David, and by extension, becomes part of the genealogy of future Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, very, it's a cool story, and it's, it shows you know, God's mercy and deliverance um, and rewarding faithfulness. Um, but yeah, chronologically, this is where the book of Ruth fits in. It's a short read if you want to uh, get a little deeper into that. Um, and then we get to Samuel. Samuel. We haven't had... A prophet like this in a while. Samuel was born um, <clears throat> to a woman named Hannah, and again, she was barren. She prays that God would relieve her barrenness, and he does. And as part of her um, prayer, she made a vow, and this is in 1 Samuel 1. And uh, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So it's an interesting sort of, if you will just give me a son, he will be totally dedicated to you, Lord. From an early age, he will be yours um, to do with, um, to serve you. And God answers her prayer. Um... She gives Samuel, when he's very young, to Eli the priest. Um, and the Lord calls to Samuel, even as a boy, and establishes him as a prophet in Israel as he grows. So God lifts him up as a prophet. God affirms him as a prophet. Um, and Samuel will become an important figure moving forward because Remember, the role that a prophet fills is an intermediary between God and his people. And um, it even says um, that in those days, in 1 Samuel 3, 1, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were no frequent, for there was no frequent vision. So the kind of face-to-face revelation that we'd seen earlier in the story of Israel had not been happening much lately. But now Samuel is here, and God is going to communicate through him. The Israelites, about this time, go out to battle with the Philistines, and when they lose, they bring the ark up from Shiloh. This initially terrifies the Philistines um, because they've, they've, they've seen what God has done with the Israelites in the past. They, they, know, about, they know about this ark, but um, initially they, they defeat the Israelites, and they take the ark. And this is the famous story about how they take the ark to the house of their god, Dagon, 
And remember how they put the ark in there with it? They come back the next day, and the figure of Dagon has fallen on his face before the ark, right? And they set it back up. The next day they come back, he's fallen on his face again. This time the head and hands are chopped off and laying in the doorway. Um, and it gets worse for the Philistines. Um, the men are afflicted with tumors. Many of them die. And the Philistines are ultimately so terrified, they bring the ark, but they return the ark. Um, along with a, a kind of a sacrifice. Um, but it, it's just an interesting story about how God is, even in this time, God is in control, and even though the people have acted, you know, out of turn and out of order, and um, God is now providing them with a prophet who will help them find their way and um, has brought the ark back. And Samuel now, as an adult, functions as a judge over Israel. At his direction, Israel now again puts away the foreign gods and serves the Lord only. And Israel gathers to have a, a, to have a fast, and they sacrifice, and they confess their sin. And the Philistines, always opportunistic, draw near to attack, but God confuses them and defeats them, delivering Israel. So again, we see that when Israel is, is obedient to God and they're pursuing after God, God watches over them, you know, in his hand, they might be in a compromised position, but when they're faithful to him, that's when God defends them. Um, Samuel's sons also later serve as judges, but they're corrupt, they take bribes. Um, this, this begins a theme we're also gonna see more of in the next few weeks, and that's, you might say, you could say bad parenting, or you could just say that you know we have great men whose 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 children are not as they were, um, because apparently Samuel doesn't do much to stop it. And then we get just just with enough time, um, Israel decides they want a king. Remember, Samuel's been ministering to them as a judge, and Samuel. Uh, Samuel gives them really some specific warnings. Um, it's funny how the culture around you rubs off, and, and it seems to have weighed heavy in the mind of the Israelites that the people around them all have kings, okay? In 1 Samuel 8, now a point for us, excuse me, 1 Samuel 8, 4, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. See, even publicly, his sons were, were shamed. Now appoint for us a king to serve, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel later, he gives them some very specific warnings. He was like, you may not know what you're asking for. I know what everyone else does. And Samuel just tells them, in First uh, Samuel eight eleven, he said to them, "These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots, and he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and some to plow the ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and to equip his chariots. He will take your daughters to be the perfume, perfumers and cooks and bakes." He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your flock 
and, sh- and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people don't listen. Um, he basically says, you know, the king, kings are expensive. They, they draft, they conscript the young men, you know. Um, they take a lot of your stuff. Uh, but Israel wants it. And God says, tell Samuel, he said, go ahead. God said, I will show you who it will be. Um, and a, a very tall, good-looking youth, young man, appears before Samuel. His name is Saul. And that's the only two special qualities we seem to know about Saul, was that he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else, and he was very good-looking. That's it. That's about what we know. And God said, um, this, this is the king. And Samuel anoints him and publicly proclaims Saul the first king of Israel. Although, before he publicly proclaimed him, he did have, they did have to go get Saul because he'd hidden himself amongst the baggage of the retinue. So, I mean, being a king is difficult, a little bit scary, um, but it's sort of, a, sort of a funny way to start the story. Um, but we have this tall, handsome youth. Israel demands a king. God said, that's the guy. And Saul becomes the first legitimate king over Israel. Israel is now a kingdom. They have a king just like all the nations around them. And Samuel tells the people the rights and the duties of the kings and writes them down in a book. And that gets us to the first king of Israel. I left just a couple minutes here at the end. I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, questions. We went through pretty quickly with some of this stuff today, but I really wanted to get you guys here so we could do start with the big kings of Israel next week. They're big personalities and big stories and a lot going on. Um, questions, anyone? Bennett? Yes, which psalm are you talking about? Which psalm? Yes, there's what, two psalms. Yeah, um, we, I was actually reading out of 1 Samuel then. Um, so, so the psalm is a different book. Is he the one in jail? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you said, I'm sorry, I thought you said psalms, my mistake. You said Saul, is that right? Yeah, and oh. was he in jail? Sorry, you're thinking of the New Testament. This is, this is the king... Um, the king in the Old Testament of Israel. So a different guy. Does Good he, question, though. The kings eventually become uh, King Darius, and eventually they go to Daniel. We will get to Daniel. That'll be a few weeks further on. And we'll see what will happen to Saul. That'll be a big part of our next week's message, okay? I'll love to hear about that. I, yeah. He's, Saul's a big personality and obviously a lot to talk about there. Thank you, Bennett. Any other thoughts about today? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you uh, advance that one more time here, please? I'm sorry. I'm trying to finish up here a little bit of housekeeping. Um, the Philistines, um, the land, we talked a lot about the Philistines in, in relation to Israel. Um, it's toward the Mediterranean Sea and southern. So if Israel's kind of here, remember here's the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee. And this was the land of the Philistines the, because, again, they just come up a lot. So I thought I'd provide that for you guys to give you some orientation about where this is going on. Um, also... Because we're getting, um, most of you probably already looked at it, because we're getting to a part of, of the Old Testament where the chronology, the order of things can be harder to track, once we get into the kings and the prophets and then we have the divided kingdom, I printed, um, with the help of Daniel, and thank you Daniel for making it look so nice, um, I printed this off for you guys. 
and it shows what era that we're in, and you can see I'm leaving off right here at the top at the beginning of, the King, of King Saul, right here. And this has the major prophets on it in red. It shows you which stories are recorded in which book. Sometimes the same story recorded by different books, but it'll help you track as we go through these next few weeks so that we can keep it in order, okay? So feel free to take a, a, a glance at that. I hope it's helpful for you. It was the best one I could find um, that I could reprint, and um, this will be with us all the way through the divided kingdom and will help us kind of find our way in order. Hope you guys like it. You know, something colorful to look at instead of the usual stuff. Lois. I have a probably a very silly question, but the judges were, I, when I think of judges, I think of um, mm-hmm. the, the men that, solve disputes between people, but these right. judges were battle leaders? And more like military leaders. Military that, that's, leaders. That, that's the way they're often presented. Um, we, don't, we don't have a lot of record of them like settling disputes in the way that like King Solomon would, where there's a dispute and it's brought before him and they provide judgment. It's more, it's usually like Israel is in that cycle right after they've sinned and they're, they've fallen and they're being oppressed and God raises up a, a judge who oftentimes, as you pointed out, it's a military figure. On your first, whoops, on the very first slide you had up there, mm-hmm. it had the, um, the judges' names and pointing at different areas. Yes. So, like Oth- Othiel Neol, mm-hmm. clear at the bottom, mm-hmm. would he have been controlling the people all the way up? And how does that? I don't know that the influence of, the, of all the judges was more than regional. Now, um, now some, some of them seem to have had widespread, um, widespread influence, but some of them we just don't know, so I can't be 100% certain about saying that. I just thought that this would kind of show that the judges seem to have occurred throughout the land of Israel, and maybe that was by God's design. Uh, well, obviously, exactly how it happened was by God's design. And I just thought you'd think it was, when you think about like the land of the Philistines right down in here, again, along the Mediterranean, where I showed you in that other slide, and of course, here's Samson, you know, doing his thing, and, uh, but just showing the different areas involved. Um, but uh, clearly, some of them had enough influence to cause the people you know, to, turn, to turn away, at least for a time, from their pagan practices. Does that make sense? Good question. Anything else, guys? Thoughts on the, on the judges or on finally getting to the time of the kings? Questions about this thing? Yes, Simeon. So the, the Philistine outline on the last slide yes. and then this outline of like yes. where the tribes lay out, they overlap. Yes. So there are like territories where other nations are living within like the picture map of the tribes of Israel yes. on the back of your Bible, yes. and they hold those territories, and Israel does not hold those territories? Or is it it kind seems of to like be an ongoing world? struggle, because okay. throughout like the text for this week, it talks about how after, um, like say after the Israelites came together to fast and, and to confess their sins, and God drives away the Philistines, it says that Israel actually takes back 
some cities that the Philistines had occupied. So it seems to be because the people are there, they're not driven out completely. There's this ongoing struggle. Okay. And this is a continuation from Joshua. Yes. When, when, okay. when God basically said, because you weren't faithful, I'm not going to drive out all these people. And it's going to be a continual test for you. And their gods are going to be a snare for you, which is exactly what ends up happening. Okay. But uh, I, I hope this just provides a perspective. Again, this is just diagrammatic. This is just to hopefully um, give you guys a little idea of what it's looking like. Keep it sort of in perspective there. Other Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, no, these lands, these lands are still being fought over violently, continually. Um, the weapons have changed, but the struggle continues. That's a great point. I hadn't even hadn't even made that connection, but that's very certainly very true. Um, but uh, yeah, we so we're done with we, we've made it all the way to the kings. It will be the kingdom of Israel from now on, and we'll go through the bigger, we'll go through the major kings, the first kings, we'll get into um, the later kingdom, the divided kingdom, and then we will see the overthrow and the captivity, and, and believe it or not, we will be ready for the New Testament, <laughs> and that's where we'll stop. So thank you guys so much. Um, any other questions or anything? All right. Have a great week, everyone.